Okay. How was you guys' this week? Was it a good week this week? Good? You think it needs to be louder? Okay. I don't want to be louder. I don't like that. You know, it's been a while since I was up here, and you guys have not changed a bit. You're still scary. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I tell you what, let's start off with a little prayer. Lord, we just come to you. We just ask that you would just uh, bring a message and bring a little opening here and uh, just want to bless you and give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So this week, I was thinking a little bit about the heart of a child. So I was thinking about how is your heart? How is my heart? And I was kind of looking that up and I was thinking a little bit and I read a little story. So this story was a short story, so I'm going to add to it. I don't know if it's even true, um, so bear with me. I'm just going to make up a little bit of it too. But. So anyway, it was, it was winter, and it was Christmas Eve, and I can only imagine that maybe it was back around 1930. Times were tough, and possibly after the crash of 29. And there was a little girl that she lived with her father, and he was a businessman. And I can imagine that he was maybe a little bit of a hard businessman because times were tough. He was trying to make his way, possibly raising his child on his own, I don't know. And it was close to Christmas, and it would indicate to me that at one time anyway, maybe they had done fairly well because she had found some golden wrapping paper. But obviously now, times were tough, and they weren't doing so well. So she grabbed this golden wrapping paper, and she was trying to wrap this box, and her dad seen her, and he scolded her. He said, why are you using this golden wrapping paper in these hard times? You should be saving it. But she was undeterred. She wanted to wrap this box. So she went ahead, she wrapped it that night, had it all pretty, put it under the tree, and the next morning her father came out, the businessman, and he seen it, and, and his heart melted a bit. He was a little sheepish about what he had done the night before about scolding his daughter for the, for the package. So he took it, he opened it in front of her, cracked the lid, and it was empty. He was angry. He was very angry. He began to yell at her. You never give an empty package to anyone. If at least what you're going to do is give them a present. Tears began to roll down her cheeks. She looked up at her dad, and she said, Dad, I blew that box clear full of kisses, and they are all for you. Word has it, the story has it, a little short story said something about the fact that she died later in a tragic accident, not too long after. And the father kept the box of kisses on his nightstand. He would pull one of those out every time he was feeling low or he remembered his daughter. The heart of a child. How is your heart? 
Mine isn't always that good. I'm the businessman a lot. I don't have time for my children. I don't have time for others. I'm busy. I'm thinking about myself. I'm hard. But you know, I think there's something to glean from the heart of children. So turn with me, if you will, and look at a few scriptures where Jesus brought in children. So, if you go to Matthew 18, 1 through 6. So Matthew 18, 1 through 6 here, it also is in Mark. We'll read that afterward. I think it's the same account. It says, at the time, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. So we'll find over in Mark that I believe his disciples were squabbling about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So can you imagine if you and a, a couple adults are squabbling about who's going to be the greatest, and Jesus just goes and grabs a little child and sets him right there. I'm sorry, but I'd be a little bit offended about the deal. I'm like, well, I'm an adult, you know. But you know, he brought a child, and he set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as a little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whosoever receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, or better for him for a millstone to be hanged about his neck, and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. So we'll go to Mark 9, 33 through 37. So Mark 9, 33 through 37 is going to cover the same thing. It adds a little bit to it. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed amongst yourselves by the way? But they held their peace. For by the way they disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Seems like maybe they were a little embarrassed. And he sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desire to be the first, the same shall be the last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. When he had taken him into his arms, and he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me but him that sent me. He pulled a child, and he made an example I think there's something to be learned from the children. So we'll go to Matthew 19, 13 through 15. Matthew 19, 13, 15. Then we're, then were here brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuke them. But Jesus said, Suffer the little children, and forbid them not from coming to him, to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them, and then they departed thence. Once again, it appears they were trying to kind of 
shuffle the children away, but Jesus said, bring the children unto me. Mark 10, 13 through 16. And they brought young children unto him. He should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and he said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven of God. Verily I say unto you, whoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, and he put his hands upon them, and he blessed them. So what is it about these children that Jesus wants to make an example to us adults about? What is it? So I was thinking about it. I was trying to think of some attributes of children. And I want to preface this. We all know that our parents, that children are not perfect. (laughs) Um, However, I think they all have some common traits. They're innocent. They're honest overall. They're, (laughs) come on, Macy. They're persistent. They're tender. They're loving. They're without inhibitions. They generally don't have an agenda. They take you at your word. They're non-judgmental. They forgive easily. They love to communicate. And they don't care really what others think about them. That kind of comes later when they get older, I think. So I was thinking about these attributes, and I was thinking about children, and I want to apologize. I really only know a few children really good, and those would be my own. So I don't want to use them as examples as if they're really golden children, but I am very familiar with my children. (laughs) But I did think of another one, and I won't mention their name, but they stand out here on Sunday morning. Out here on the front step, almost without fail, they are a little older than a child. They're a young lady now. But if they hear a voice, they will call your name. They can't see you very well. And they really don't care who's listening. They'll say, hey, Ryan. Hey, Fred. Hey, Jack. They'll talk to you all the way to the show. Talk to you all the way to the door. She goes back out and she does it again. I think that's the heart of a child. I think it's something we can learn from. I have a daughter that periodically through the week will come out to my shop multiple times and bring little letters. She'll bring them out. She'll want me to open them. I'm busy. I'm working. But I need to open them. So I'll open them, and sometimes I can read it, sometimes I can't, to be honest. So I'll kind of make up and read back to her what maybe I would have written. And she's like, Dad, you got to write back to me. So I'll take the time, and I'll try to write something back, and I'll think, well, that's out of the way for today. Fifteen minutes later, comes another letter. <laughs> but you know what? Little kids, they want to communicate. They want to share what's on their heart, and they aren't scared to do it. I have a couple little boys that put a whole new twist on persistence. (laughs) 
they've gotten this idea, I guess they brought some books home from the library or something, and they've gotten this idea that they wanted to build a raft. So they did it, I ignored it. Once again, I was kind of busy with my own thing. They were doing it out in the pasture, and they'd ask for some things, and I'd give it to them, or they'd take it, whatever happened. And <laughs> Anyway, yesterday, I was getting ready to mow the lawn, and they came flying up, and they had the four-wheeler, or they were getting ready to get the four-wheeler, and they said, Dad, we're, we're going down to Blake Stocks Pond, which is a pond two houses down from our place. They said, we're going to float this raft. I was like, guys. Really, it's cold. The water's freezing. I said, you guys have no idea. If you fall in, you're going to drown because it's cold. They were going. I said, okay, I'm going to go with you. So I turned off the lawnmower. I jumped on the four-wheeler. I seen the raft, and I really didn't think it'd work. But they were persistent. So we went down there, and we put it in the water, and it didn't work. So we used it as a learning experience. We talked about what we could do to make it work, and this was how things were invented. And lo and behold, by later in the afternoon, it had like six more logs built onto it, and, <laughs> and I put it off. I did the dad thing, and I said, well, maybe tomorrow, and then I remembered today wasn't going to work because we have events and things. And So it's, right now, it's on the agenda for Monday, so you guys can maybe think about the logs, the little raft. I told him that Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn had more than two logs, so we probably better put some more in that on. And then there's another child that came to mind. That child was born in a lowly stable, I guess you'd say, a long time ago. Grew up, didn't have a lot of, I don't think had a lot of wealth, had a lot of anything special. Grew into a young man. Forgave a lot of people, brought us the wonderful gospel, died on the cross before most of us ever even accepted it. That was another child. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. So I was thinking that we needed some promises that we can stand on this week. Because I don't really feel like I have much of a child of a heart most of the time. Childlike heart most of the time. But God didn't leave us hanging. If you'll turn with me to Romans 8, 16, and 17. Romans 8, 16, and 17 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children that were heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, and we may also be glorified together. So we're his children, and we're heirs, and we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's pretty special if you think about it. I kind of blow through that sometimes, but you think about being heirs with Jesus, that's, that's a pretty big thing. Ephesians 1 and 5. Ephesians 1 and 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according 
to the good pleasure of his will. We're predestinated and we're adopted. Another great promise that we're his child. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 5. Hey, there's 2 Thessalonians. We're getting close. First Thessalonians 5 and 5. Ye are all the children of light and the children of day, and we are not of the night nor of darkness. Another promise that we are the children. We are the children of light. So now we get to go into my favorite book of the Bible. I would say it is anyway. I don't know, maybe it's not, but I really love John, 1 John. I spent a lot of time there and time's passed for other reasons. There's a lot of grace in that. 1 John 3, 18 and 19. I'll run through these quickly. I don't even know where my time is. I guess I'm probably about out of time, but what did I say? 1 John. Oh, wait a minute. I want to go 1 John 2, 1 through 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Once again, this is probably John calling us children, but I think there's still something to be gleaned here. My little children, having the heart of a child, there's something there that we can take home this week, I believe. 1 John 2 and 12, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. 2 and 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. 1 John 4 and 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There's power there. Let's latch on to that. The adversary wants to take that away from us. In 1 John 5 and 21, pretty simple little verse, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Do you have the heart of the businessman or do you have a heart of a child? Let's pray for the worship team and they can come up. Dear Lord, we just come to you right now. Thank you. For time of worship, thank you that we can love you and be here and be with brothers and sisters of Christ. Just bless this time of worship in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you, Ryan. I invite you to stand and join us as we sing. And uh, this week I was thinking about we're, even though we've, we're past Easter Sunday, we're still in the Easter season. And just how uh, what happened at Easter determines all year for us, not just one Sunday where we celebrate, but because of the coming of Jesus, his death and resurrection, we can live with hope, with courage, and uh, with joy. So I just encourage you to... Uh, 
worship him with us today. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear
God of angels 
its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your together today to worship you, but to look forward with hope, Lord, to the future, whether it's tomorrow, 10 years, and forever eternity with you, God. Just praise your name. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you are doing here in this service and in our lives. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for Pastor Jason and his family. Thank you for the blessing they are to us. And to the Lord, just give us ears to hear as, as we invite your Holy Spirit to speak through them. Amen. Good morning. Ryan, I know you don't like to stand up here and talk, but I just want to tell you that was amazing what you just did. I think you blessed everybody here this morning. And I told my wife I should have just traded places with you because that was very relevant for where we are today. And I really appreciate that. You put time into it, and you put heart into it. And that's what ministers to people. So thank you for that. 
Uh, we're going to have communion at the end of the service. The kids will be joining us again for that. And we get to hear uh, another musical piece with uh, Mary Leah. So looking forward to that as well. Uh, Acts. We're going through Acts right now. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26 is where we're going to be reading from and looking at this morning. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who, had be, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us, and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. Yuck. (laughs) And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, Akel Dama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it. And let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas, by transgression, fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I read through this, and I'm looking at what is here for us to learn this morning, and um, just interesting, some of the things that come out. So after Jesus ascends and the, the angels or whoever it was said, what are you standing here staring at the sky? You don't you realize that in the same manner that he was taken up, he's going to come back? In other words, stop standing here and get busy and go do what you've been told to do while you wait for Jesus' return because he's going to return, but we're not supposed to stand here and stare. And so it says they went back to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Now, it's interesting that it adds that apparently it was the Sabbath day that this happened. And the Sabbath day's journey, what was that? What was a Sabbath day's journey? And uh, a lot of it was determined by what the rabbis had pulled from Exodus. And uh, there's a spot in Numbers where they may have come up with this. It was about a half mile. That's what I found. It's about a half mile walk is all they were supposed to do on the Sabbath. You know, the, the, the commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, the Sabbath wasn't 
created for God. It was created for us. And so we don't need to get carried away on the fact that we shouldn't be doing anything. But it refers back to when they were gathering manna. And they were told to gather enough manna on Saturday or whichever day was before the Sabbath to last for two days because there wouldn't be any to gather on the Sabbath. And some people decided that they should probably uh, go out and check anyways, and there was nothing there. So there's a, something set up here in keeping the Sabbath that we don't travel, that they, excuse me, we don't do that anymore because we travel more than a half mile to get here. But they walked, and it was about a half mile is how far they were tra- allowed to travel according to the law on the Sabbath, which is just kind of interesting. This was established years before. What was the reason for it? Why would they do that? And I think part of the reason was because if, this, if the Sabbath day is supposed to be a day of rest and it's supposed to be a day of recuperating and maybe recovering from the week or maybe uh, uh, having guests or being with some people, if we're traveling too far, we're going to be exhausted by the time Monday comes around. So it was just a, a reminder Let's be aware of what the Sabbath is really for. It's really there for our benefit. It isn't for God. God doesn't need the Sabbath, but he put it there for our benefit, which is why we come here and we do something different than what we do all week. And I think it's there for us. So they all met in this upper room again. They all went there, and it says there's about 120 people there. And I don't know for sure how long they were there, but all as I know is that when we have, this is just me, okay? I'm talking for me right now, and maybe you can feel the same way sometimes, but when we have a, a, a um, prayer event here, which we do occasionally, we just had one not too long ago, uh, and we're going to say we're going to pray for two hours. And unfortunately, what I'm thinking is, two hours? What else do we do for two hours? These guys, 120, the disciples included, are meeting in this upper room because they were told to go there and to wait and to spend time in prayer. And so this is what they did. I don't know how long. It was more than two hours, though. But uh, just a, a good reminder for me. We do come down here, and we do have a time of prayer. It's powerful. It's powerful, and I need to be reminded of that often. It's probably something we should do more often because unless we do it and are reminded of that, we forget what that's like. Just to be together, spending time in prayer is powerful. And it is, and I was reminded again a few weeks ago of how powerful it is. But for some reason, in my mind, I don't like to do anything for more than two minutes that's the same, let alone come and do something for two hours that's the same, or so it appears, but I need to also remember who it is that we're talking to. We're talking to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We should want, I should want to spend time with him, and I do want to spend time with him, but for some reason, that just sounds like a big deal, and I don't want to spend two hours doing that but I need to, on occasion, to spend that much time with my Savior. How do you think they kept their focus? Because I can get distracted pretty easily, and I can imagine with 120 people in a room, I don't know how big a room it was, but I can imagine it would be a little hard to keep your focus on what you're doing. And I just wanted to read uh, Mark 
in chapter 14. And this is where Jesus is going into the garden to pray. His disciples are with him, and he leaves them and says, keep watch, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to come back. And here's what happens. Mark chapter 14, verses 37 through 42. So Jesus has been praying, and he's asking if it's at all possible that this cup can be take from, taken from me. If I don't have to die, if there's another way, this is what he's asking. He's asking God's will to be done here. Then he came and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words, and when he returned he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Is It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. They keep falling asleep. They, and Jesus asks them to pray, watch and to pray, and they keep falling asleep. And then it goes to say, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. It says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I guess what I see in that is that these guys are wet to the upper room, and they're supposed to keep their focus, but how hard do, have a time do we have keeping our focus? And when it says the spirit is willing... The flesh is weak. I think a lot of times that is because we have not properly prepared for what we're going to be doing. We didn't get any sleep the night before. We didn't eat well the day before. We didn't plan well. So when the time comes that they were asked to watch and to pray, they could not do it because physically they were not prepared for it. And we come here, and I know we have busy weeks, and I am not trying to step on anybody's toes, but maybe just a little, I don't know. But it's for me as well, because if we go hard all week, and then we come here on Sunday morning, and we sit, and we can barely stay awake, why is that? I've always wondered that. I always wondered that, because we're here at 10, it's 11.30. You didn't get up early this morning. You probably can go home and take a nap this afternoon, maybe. But why is it that when we come here and we sit, this is not what I was intending to share, but this is where we're at. <laughs> Nobody's sleeping right now. <laughs> but why is that? Is it because on Saturday, yesterday, and some people have to work, I get that, I understand. Again, the Sabbath is not for God, it's for us. But when God asks these guys to go into this upper room to stay focused, when he asks his disciples to watch and pray, could we do that? Can we do that? Are we prepared enough to do that? Did we get enough rest last night to be able to do that? Did we take care of ourselves enough, not just yesterday, but during the week, to be able to come and be able to honestly say, yes, I want to come here and I want to worship and I want to pray together, and I want to encourage one another? Or are we just coming here because we feel like this is what we're supposed to do? And sometimes 
I would even have to say, standing up here and talking, I come here because I feel like it's what I should do. Maybe it's not because we always do it because we want to, because we feel like we have to. But how do we get to the point where we want to watch and pray lest ye enter into temptation? The Spirit is willing. Your Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, is willing and wants to and is ready. But the body is what's weak and can't always do it. And that was a complete side note from what I didn't even have that written down in my notes. But it's true, because I've been there too. And when after being up here and speaking, and then I sit out there and listen to somebody, do you know what I struggle with? Sometimes staying awake. And I would think that being up here, I would maybe be a little more aware of that. And I try to be, but I'm telling you, I'm still human, and sometimes it's really hard. <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with who's sharing. <laughs> it just is. But they had to keep their focus. They had to keep focus of what was going on. They were told to go and wait in the upper room, and they're waiting. And what they're waiting for is the Holy Spirit. They don't know what it's going to look like. They don't know when it's going to come. They don't know how it's going to come. They don't know how it's going to affect them. They're just doing what they were told to do. You go and you wait. And it names all of the, all of the disciples... And these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. You see, when you get together <clears throat> to come to church or whether you have a, a prayer time or something like that, you all come together for one purpose. And what's our purpose for coming here this morning? My purpose, and hopefully all of our purposes, is to bring glory and honor to our Lord and Savior. That's why we're here. Yes, we're going to be encouraged. Yes, we're going to feel loved. Yes, hopefully we're going to get some toes stepped on and we're going to feel convicted. But our primary purpose for being here is to bring glory and honor to Jesus. That's why we're here. And let's not forget the reason that we're here. They had to keep their focus. Are we keeping our focus? So as we move on now, Peter stands up, which is apparently what he did because Peter, I think, liked to talk. And so he stood up and did. And they're talking about what has happened with Judas. Because Judas, remember when Jesus was having the Last Supper and he said, who I give this bread to, he's going to betray me. And they're all confused on what that means and what it's going to look like. And they don't understand what's going on. And after that happens, Judas gets up and leaves. And everybody's like, what? I think right after that, Ryan, is when they started arguing about who was the greatest. Of all the things to argue about, I don't, that doesn't, <laughs> but we do the same thing, so I don't know why that doesn't make sense. But Peter says this had to happen to fulfill what Scripture said. A couple of things in Psalm 41 and verse 9. It says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Does that not sound like what Judas did? This is clear back in the book of Psalms. Another one is uh, John, if I can find John, Luke, uh, John chapter 13 and verse 18. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know who I have, whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Again, referring to what Judas is going to do. 
So Peter's talking about this. Now here is what's interesting. Judas has been a disciple of Jesus for this whole time of his ministry. He's following him around, seeing what's going on. He was a follower of Christ as well. But those privileged to be close to the truth are not necessarily committed to the truth. Those privileged to be close to the truth are not necessarily committed to the truth. It's a question I ask myself and I ask you this morning is, are we committed to the truth? Because Judas walked with Jesus for three years. He was with him. He was by his side, just like all of the other disciples that were mentioned. He was privileged to be close to the truth, Jesus. But he had not taken it for his own. He had not fully committed to the truth. And I just want to say, are we fully committed to the truth? Because if we're looking for answers in our world today with the chaos that's going on and we are not fully committed to the truth, we are going to be very confused. But if we're fully committed to the truth, we're going to be able to see through things that we might not otherwise be able to see through. In Matthew, it says that Judas went out and hanged himself, which I think he did. But here in Acts, it says very graphically that he fell headlong and burst open in the middle and all of his entrails gushed out. That's disgusting. So how did he die? I think he did hang himself and one of the several things that I read thought that he hung himself and maybe the rope broke therefore fulfilling what happens here in Acts. I don't know. Either way, he committed suicide. Because of what he had done, he couldn't live with what he had done. Doesn't make it right, but that's what he did. So here, at this point, we finish. Um, For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it, which the place where he died nobody did, and let another take his office. So now the disciples are faced with a decision that they have to make. They have to replace Judas. They have to find somebody that has been with them mostly the entire time and has witnessed the death and the resurrection of Jesus and replace Judas. How do we handle making important decisions? This is a pretty big deal. This is a pretty important decision that's going to be made. And who they find and who they decide to put in could affect who knows how many different things. But how do we make important decisions like this? Do we, are we hasty in making decisions? Do we not spend a lot of time thinking about things and we just make a snap decision and, and go? And sometimes those, are come, those, those have to happen sometimes. Or are we the opposite and we just kind of drag something out hoping that we don't ever actually have to make the decision, but maybe it'll just make itself. And I unfortunately say I could probably do that sometimes. But how do we make decisions? Where do we go? Who do we seek? What kind of help do we ask for in making decisions? The disciples, hopefully, are learning how to make these decisions, sometimes maybe based on what has been done in the past. If you go to uh, 
1 Samuel 16 and verse 7. Samuel is looking at David's, or excuse me, at Jesse's family looking for a king to anoint for Israel. And in verse 7, well, Samuel had saw some of the older ones, and they were tall and strong and good-looking, and Samuel was thinking, this has got to be the guy that's going to be king, and here's what God says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So this is a huge decision the disciples are making because if you, you can't pick somebody based on what they look like. You've got to pick somebody based on who they are as a person. You've got to pick somebody based on what God thinks. And are they, it seems like they are learning to seek the will of God in this decision that they're making. First Chronicles 28, verses 9 and 10, and David <clears throat> is talking to his son Solomon right here. He says, as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Now, if we can read that the Lord looks at the heart, the Lord doesn't look at people the same way that we look at people, then would we not want to ask the Lord's wisdom in making decisions that we have to make? And sometimes uh, we do, I think we do, but um, is that the first place that we go? Is that the first place that we seek wisdom? In making decisions, do we seek, do we start decisions by seeking God's will first? And I think there's an important truth there that we say that we want what's best, what, what God, we want God's will for our life. We want what his best is for us, is what I'm trying to say. But when it comes time to make decisions, do we ask him? Do we ask him? Or do we just make the decision and then later think, oh, maybe we should have asked the Lord what he wanted us to do. But how do we go about that? There's a couple more verses that I'd like to read. Uh, Philippians. Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We can be anxious about a lot of things. We can be anxious about decisions that we have to make. The disciples in Acts, I'm sure, were very concerned about this decision that they had to make. But yet, they, put, they were putting their trust in God, and they were asking Him, Therefore, of these men, and this is Acts again, chapter 1, therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they're looking for somebody. This could cause some anxiety because depending on who you put in that position is going to maybe make a huge difference. Matthew... Matthew chapter 6, 
Verses 32 and 33. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Seek ye first. How often, how many times do we seek Christ first? So the disciples proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was named Justice, and the other one was Matthias. And here's how they started this. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell. Lord, help us to know. Help us to be wise. Help us to make the right decision in this case, how often are we asking the Lord to help us make the right decision? I don't know uh, if we ever do enough. And I think I could do more. But that's one thing that I'm trying to learn is that if we have a decision to make, I want to ask the Lord's wisdom in how to make that decision. They still ended up, in a sense, voting. They cast lots. But you know that when you're casting lots, um, the God that we serve can control that too. So you still have to come down to the fact that you have to make a decision. Sometimes God might verbally say, this is what you need to do. But there's other times where we put out a fleece, right, Rick? There's other times that we're going to cast lots. We have two people that we feel like would be very, very... um, beneficial or very qualified to put in this position. But Lord, between these two, who do you want us to put in? Who do you want us to add to our group of 12 disciples? And they still cast lots because they still have to go through and make that decision. And I wonder if sometimes we sit back and we wait for God to answer and we put off making a decision because we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting for God to give us an answer. And he gives us answers in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's in something that we read. Sometimes it's through a brother or sister in Christ. Sometimes we hear something, we're listening to a song or something, and we hear something that all of a sudden, for some reason, we've not ever heard it that way before. Are we... uh, Are we stubborn in wanting to hear directly from God? Or are we willing to... Be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is leading. I think that's the key in how we're looking to make these decisions. So these disciples made this decision. They cast lots. And yes, the Lord probably guided that lot to fall where it did. But they had two very qualified people that could have filled that spot. But they're still asking the Lord, what do you want us to do? How do we proceed from here? And then they stepped forward. And they proceeded. How are, me, how are we making decisions like that? Two things to take away from today. Are we watching and praying? Are we preparing for things that we have coming up that we know we need to do? Are we preparing even for coming here on Sunday morning? 
Watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. And the other one is to, let's continue to ask the Lord for direction. If we have decisions to make, that's the place to go. The answers will come. They may come in different forms, different ways than what you think, but they will come. So if we can learn something from these apostles here, or the disciples here in Acts, is to watch, to seek counsel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love this morning. I pray that we can come here prepared for what you have for us, whether it's what you have for us or whether it's what you have for us to offer or that you want to use us to do. Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue to seek after you. Lord, our purpose for being here is to bring glory and honor to you. I pray that you'd help us to do that. Thank you, Father, for loving us. I pray that you would guide our week as we go from here. In your name we pray, amen. We are um, going to switch gears just a little bit. We're going to have communion this morning. Uh, if uh, I think the kids will be coming back up here shortly. Um, we're going to... Um, Pass stuff out. I'm going to read, though, first from First uh, Corinthians chapter 11. This is commemorating what Jesus did with his disciples before he died. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And I'm going to read just a little bit farther. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Communion is a representation of what Christ has done for us. And communion is something, it, said, it does talk about not taking communion unworthily. We usually have a little bit of quiet time, which there will be. There will be some music playing while we pass things out too. It says examine yourself. And I don't feel like that's my job to examine you. I think that's your job to examine yourself. Because your relationship is between you and Jesus. And my relationship is between me and Jesus. So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to have uh, whoever it is that's going to come and play. And we're going to have the uh, elder, elders, or I think Paul's the only one here, and the deacons, if you want to come up and help pass some stuff out. And as we pass this out... This is a time to reflect. If you're not comfortable taking it, I don't, that's fine. Don't. But this, is a, this represents what Jesus did for us. Um, the kids are coming in, and so if they are not here yet, you want your kids to 
partake with us, then go ahead and grab something for them as well. And I am going to let them start praying, and then I'll come back up when we get everything passed out. Jesus said, when he had given thanks, he broke the bread. He said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, thank you for your body that was broken for us. And Lord, I just pray that as we partake of this, that you would remind us of what you've done for us. If you want to take the bread. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, thank you for your blood that was shed to cover our sins. Lord, I thank you for this um, thing that you gave us to remember what you've done. Should we partake of the cup? Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for these things that you have given us, these reminders that you've given us of the things that you've done for us. I pray that you would help us to not forget. Guide us as we go this week. I pray that we can be a light for you wherever we are, whoever we're in contact with. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can be dismissed. Have a good week.